Hey folks, welcome back to the Album Collection, the podcast where we take a deeper dive into some of our favorite, iconic, nostalgic, random albums featuring our favorite uh, country artists and some of the the more well-known ones. And this week, we're doing Lady Antebellum's self-titled debut album, Lady Antebellum. So this was released in April of 2008, so that makes it almost 13 years old. Emily, why, why this album? What, what drew you to it? Well, I, I remember hearing their first single and that was, uh, love don't live here. I remember watching the video. And then when this album came out, I remember thinking, even if this group doesn't go anywhere, I'm going to love them <laughs> because this album was so good. And I liked every song on it. And I think it was that weird time in country music. Actually, maybe the sweet spot, if you want to go there, where it's not the crazy, weird early 2000s that are trying to be completely opposite of the 90s. And it's not bro country yet. Mm-hmm. Where you got really great Carrie albums and, and Kenny's still rolling. And, and then Taylor. Bella. Honestly, a big, big Taylor mm-hmm. fan. Yeah. Um, and then they were just so different. I know Little Big Town was a thing and, and their harmonies, blah, blah, blah. But this was such a new sound. And I think they were just so fresh. And, and it just, I don't know, they, they captivated me. <laughs> I agree. Because at that time, it was Rascal Flats and everybody else, right? right? They were the ones. And they were definitely, and we've talked about them on some previous episodes, that they had more of that pop element to it you know the the first country boy band uh some people like to refer to them and i'm the same way like i i had this album i think i bought it at walmart whatever and i'm like because you heard their first song like that's catchy it's different and the whole album it just sounds good and it's for that the late 2000s it was just a sweet spot like you said it was just good country music yeah it just the 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 vocals between Charles and Hillary, and it wasn't just like okay, you sing this song, I'll sing the next song. The way they, I don't know, that's a good point. So good, and even to this day, it's it's so cool that you can hear him sing most of a song or her, and you're like, oh, it's it's Lady A. You know, there's no confusion on who it is. That's a good point. They were different in that aspect where it was like there's two lead singers and that really hadn't happened since if the only other thing I could think of is maybe some early Lone Star, Mm. right. Before they kind of figured it out and John Rich left the band, but they, they made it work and they're still making it work, which is. I mean, there's still that Brooks and Dunn song and I can't think of what it is, but um, kick sings it. And I (laughs) didn't even know it was a Brooks and Dunn song until (laughs) I think figure this out last summer or something i forget which one it is but i was like brooks and dunn but you never heard kick sing and even later on with montgomery gentry they kind of switched because eddie used to be or was mainly the main singer and then troy started singing you're like wait who is this i think lady a was smart in this effect where first song out of the gate so like these are our two singers learn them get to know them and we did. And we did. 
We did. Yes, indeed. So this self-titled debut album, Lady Antebellum. And I think, and I don't want to dive deep into the whole, how they've changed their name since, but I think it was a very different and fun name at the time. You're like Lady Antebellum. It like rolls off the tongue. It's like, Ooh, that's fresh. What is that lady? Like, yeah. Is, is it a girl she, group? Like, right. Is she the lead singer? Oh no, it's both. Like, yeah. So it was just a, it was new and fresh. I think that's, it was different. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. It was one of those things where no one knew who they were. They kind of just came on the scene strong and they still have been. I mean, I took a little hiatus, but I don't know. It, it started with this album. And I think, like you said, titling their album with their name was the smartest thing they could have done. Agreed. So this debuted at number one on Billboard's top country albums. And it was the first debut by a country group to achieve this. So they have that. Uh, It reached number four on the overall Billboard top 200 and was certified double platinum. So they made some money off of this one, to say the least. A little bit. A little bit. So the songwriters and the interesting thing is all three of them, Hillary, Charles, Dave, they're all songwriters at heart. That's how they met. That's how they formed the group. And they're on a lot of these songs, especially the, the three singles. They're all songwriters on it, which is crazy. I I kind of forgot about that when I was looking and they basically co-wrote majority of the songs i'm like oh yeah they do write <laughs> like because charles is a big didn't he write a luke bryan song or he wrote with luke bryan and i remember that story or dave did too before they all kind of came up together so it's just kind yeah of like, that's right they did like mm-hmm. they're multi-talented people so their debut single love don't live here it was only those three those are the only three writers on it and became a hit uh, their second one was looking for a good time. It was those three. And then the other songwriter was Keith Folsey and a couple other songs that he's written. Tim McGraw's something like that. Lone star smile, faith Hills, the way you love me and Martina McBride's I love you. So they're working with great songwriters, even as mm-hmm. they're trying to get their clout. The other single I run to you again, just the main three. And then Tom Douglas, who wrote Tim McGraw's grown men don't cry and Southern voice as well as Martina's loves the only house. So those are the three singles and they were the songwriters on all three, which is kind of gnarly. It has to be so rewarding for them personally, just to and financially because, and because <laughs> they're getting everything money wise. True, Very true. But I think yeah. it just maybe proves it okay, we can do this. We were, first of all, great songwriters, but then we also sound great together, which isn't a guarantee necessarily. Dave and Charles were high school buddies, right? Or did I believe they, so, yeah. They were together, but, you know, it's got to find the right match and it's good that they can write together and then sing together and it's just, yeah. Forget how much I love them until I <laughs> go back and listen to all their songs. I'm like, oh, they're so good. Sometimes it's like that, it's that dependable restaurant that you can go to and you can have 
either two different scenarios where you order the same thing every time and it's always, it gets better or yeah. you can be like everything on the menu is so good. And it's just, it's that, that safe, that safe net, like, Oh, where should we go to eat tonight? Oh, let's go here. Of course. Why wouldn't we? We haven't been there in a while, but it is the best food. Are you comparing um, lady A to Olive Garden? Because I can get behind that. Honestly, in a, yeah, I think you're kind of right. <laughs> People for whatever reason, have been hating on Olive Garden as of late. Right? That's so odd. And their food's still good. I'm not saying yeah. it's as good as, you know, some mom pro shop in Italy. But that's not what we're comparing here. Uh, right. A couple other songwriters just want to hit on uh, that wrote on the album, Notables. Clay Mills, he wrote One Day You Will, and he also wrote Diamond Rio's Beautiful Mess and Darius Rucker's Don't Think I Don't Think About It. Jason Deere wrote Love's Looking Good on You. And he worked closely to help launch Shadezi's career, at least the first album. He was a songwriter on Don't Worry About a Thing, I Will, But, and Little Goodbyes. So that's all great. But the other one I want to call out here is Victoria Shaw. And she's actually one of the co-producers on the entire album. And... She wrote, let's see here, one, two, three, four, I think like five or six of the songs on this album. Hmm. And uh, none of them were singles, but she was pretty instrumental. One of them should have been a single and we'll get to it. Okay. Uh, but she's, her claim to fame is she wrote Garth Brooks's The River and She's Every Woman. Minor songs, no big deal. Minor songs. Yes. Uh, she also wrote John Michael Montgomery's I Love the Way You Love Me and like, Eric Church's Two Pink Lines. So, wow. Yeah. Interesting. She's, uh, she has, she's done it a couple of times and the tickets always sell out too fast. She does the, like, uh, at the listening room, you know, there's always different mm-hmm. writers' rounds. And once in a while, they get like a big name in there or whatever. And she's done it a couple of times. And I think she's like filming something for some TV series or whatever. And she had Garth there. And I'm sure as soon as like they hit publish on the event, the tickets were gone. Cause, uh, but anyway, she's, she's definitely one of the the notable songwriter names in town. If you mention Victoria Shaw, you're like, Oh, Garth Brooks. And it's interesting that, um, a lot of her songs are sung by men in a way. Yeah. You know, like, and huge, big songs. I'm just thinking, like, two pink lines. I didn't know a female wrote that song. <laughs> I don't know. It's proper. It's cool, though. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, speaking of Victoria, the producers of this album, it was her and Paul Worley, right? And I feel like we've talked about Paul a few times before on different episodes. Um, he worked a lot of music row, was a VP at Sony, worked at Warner brothers. Uh, <laughs> so the story goes, I feel like we've mentioned this story at some point, but uh, I kind of want to tell it again. Uh, this is Paul saying it. He's often known for discovering both lady, a lady ants of Alm, whichever you want to call them, have at it. And the Dixie Chicks, uh, or the Chicks. Gosh, what are the odds? Both of them. This might be a Paul Worley episode. 
man. Wonder what he's been thinking the last year. The poor guy <laughs> discovered the groups and they're just like changing the name on him. Anyways, uh, I'm rambling, but the story he tells about discovering lady antebellum, he says they did a showcase in Nashville and two of my scouts told me I had to go and see them. I didn't like the name. <laughs> All right. Fair. But went and the room was packed with A&R people, RCA, Universal, Disney. The band got up and just knocked me out. It was the songs, the personalities, the vocals. It was all there. So after they were finished, I ran straight up to the stage and said, guys, I'm in. I'd like to sign you and be involved in your career. At that time, I was head of A&R and didn't assume I would produce them. But when asked during the meetings who they wanted as a producer, they looked down the table at me. So I was very grateful because I was creatively unhappy at Warner Brothers. Mm. However, when Warner Brothers didn't sign them, and instead Lady Antebellum signed with Capitol Records, I resigned and then literally walked across the street to make the record with them. At the time of the story, he says that was four years ago, and it was a very scary, strange time. I bet. To have that much faith in them, they could have been... Eh. you know, the singles couldn't have gone anywhere. It's easy in hindsight to say, you know, almost 12 and a half, 13 years ago, smart move. You should have done it. Why did you have any, any hesitation? But you got a comfy job at a record label as a producer and you quit that to, but Hey, that's the thing because everyone is so good. And yeah, you can tell sometimes when artists are, just good. And when other artists are like, Oh damn, they're really good. Yeah. But that's just boggles my mind that just to roll the dice that totally panned out for him. And anyways, so Paul Worley. Yeah. As important as it is for artists to have a producer, they trust and can be comfortable with vice versa. What you were just saying, he didn't feel, um, he felt limited creatively creatively at Warner. And mm-hmm. so I'm sure it's just as important for him. You know, there's that like, good marriage. There's gotta be that trust and, and comfortableness. Is that a word? Comfortableness, comfortability. Help me. No, this is fun. <laughs> Anyways, I just think, and I, I don't know if you looked, is he comfort level? <laughs> I don't know. Has he produced other lady A albums then? I believe so. That would be uh, interesting to know or who he's gone on to produce now because and is that even possible? Can you just have someone from a different record label after they quit come on and produce your album or do they have to get hired by Capital? I have a lot of questions. I mean, I'm sure I'm I'm guessing here, right? I'm sure it was something like if they were that in demand, which I assume they were even though uh, Warner Brothers didn't want to sign them for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, I would assume that Lady A was like, that's the guy we want to produce our album. So, yeah, we'll, we'll sign okay with, with you, <laughs> but he's coming with. Yeah. Right? Package deal. That makes sense. Hmm. Let's see here. Other things about Paul Worley, just because you mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, like I said, the Dixie Chicks uh, was huge on. Is he related uh, to Daryl? I don't think so. Okay. But well, I can look. Worth a try. Um, but it looks like he's 
Yeah, I don't have the full discography up here, but that's all right. I was just curious. I'm sure that he obviously has probably worked with them um, in the future or after on, after the first album. He did their second one, "Need You Now," which was, <laughs> as we know, he could retire after that one. Yeah, um, and then on the night, yeah, it's looking like he's been on every single one since oop they kicked him to the curb on 747 huh which that's actually, so interesting makes sense <laughs> which is as i'm clicking through here they went from paul worley to nathan chapman busby okay for like two albums and then uh their most recent one was their first one with dan huff so okay interesting Anywho, album reviews. So according to the experts, (laughs) this one got a three and a half out of five stars on all music by Mr. William rule man. Okay. So his review, he writes, and I think it's, it's just an interesting write up and, um, He says, Lady A is a two guys and a girl trio comprised of co-lead singers. He says, Charlie Kelly. (laughs) Actually, that's kind of funny. (laughs) Charlie Kelly. If I ever meet, I want to be like, hey, what's up, Charlie? No, you would never. Definitely not. I think that you would. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk a good game. Uh, Comprised of co-lead singers, Charles Kelly and Hillary Scott with multi-instrumentalist Dave Haywood. The group is also a songwriting collective, a Nashville rarity, co-writing most of the songs on the self-titled album. The three may have come up with material as good as what a publisher could have provided, although they never stray too far from formula as reused titles like Love Don't Live Here, Long Gone, I Run To You, Home Is Where The Heart Is, and Can't Take My Eyes Off You suggest. Love is true or false depending on the song or it's forgotten in a honky tonk haze of looking for a good time. Kelly has a sturdy country baritone, but he sometimes sounds a bit too pleased with his own rich tone and comes off mannered. Scott, by contrast, seems to know that her voice can't match match Kelly's for distinctiveness. So she works harder at coming up with striking phrasing and emotional force. The contrast gives their duets a chemistry that is the band's strongest element. Producers Victoria Shaw and Paul Worley give the record a pop rock sound with plenty of guitars and rhythmic punch, the better to goose a little more feeling from the singers. At this point, Lady Antebellum is a group that seems to know the basics of contemporary country, but isn't ready to move beyond them or redefine them for its own ends. Still, this is a good beginning. I've never heard such a backhanded compliment or an insult that wrapped around to become a compliment when he was talking about their voices. And then he ended it saying, this is what makes them great. <laughs> Threw me for a loop there. I, I guess maybe is this person more in the music industry. I don't know See, what I don't a mannered <laughs> voices or knowing your voice <laughs> what this is kind of my problem with some of these people again i've never met him he might be a great guy and again he like you said he might be a professional reviewer and knows the intricacies of whatever and 
can hear certain things. I feel like sometimes these people just make up shit and adjectives to be like, yes, you know, where it is in fairness, album reviews are tough and they're getting tougher. Right. But I feel like when you or I do it, it's like, Hey, we like this song because X, Y, Z, or like, this is different about it. Right. But we don't, we don't tend to throw a lot of these just goofy, whimsical phrases right. in for the sake of sounding important. And, and yeah, my brain doesn't work that way. I don't listen to Hillary Scott and think, wow, her voice is really just run of the mill, non-distinctive. So she, I can tell she's trying really hard to stand out. That thought has never crossed my mind for anyone I've ever listened to. No. And, and how can he judge, especially on the first project? If he were to say this three albums down the line that, oh, you know, Scott's pitch seems to have changed or her voice seems a little bit different. Fine, maybe. But good God, man, take a chill pill. Yeah, I agree. What did you think about the the last sentence or so where it says, Lady Antebellum is a group that seems to know the basics of contemporary country, but isn't ready to move beyond them or redefine them for its own ends. I don't know if I understand it. Does he think that they are scared to push the boundaries? That's kind of my takeaway, right? Is like That's so ironic considering the next album, the hit song will go freaking global across all genres. Right. Which is the hindsight that he obviously doesn't have. Right. You know, as, as he's I, writing I, this, but yeah, I, and like I said, is that, is that weird time in, in country music, 2008 and, and things aren't as defined. There's not bro country. We're not in nineties country anymore. I think they kind of paved their own lane. If you want to say that, I think that they've throughout their career remained true to themselves. Yeah. My biggest beef is the next person that reviews it says they sound too pop and they should be more traditional. So they try to find the sweet spot and they just can't win, but they did win. They did win with this album. They did win. I agree. Yeah. So the album featured 11 songs total, I believe. And they released three of them, the radio. And I would say, you know, there's a 12 song, right? Is this a, am I getting punked here? No. So unless we all are, unless Wikipedia is wrong, they said that there was a additional one on iTunes. If you bought it off iTunes, you'd get a 12 song. And the really? only reason I care is because the song is called Emily. So then what? I looked it up on YouTube. Yeah. Charles Kelly sings my name over and over. Again. It's pretty I had no. I, I had no idea. I saw that on Wikipedia. So then I just YouTubed. The song it's a good song if i say so myself i'd be darn yeah there it is itunes bonus track yeah Emily. Bonus track. i'm gonna have to listen to it now all right <laughs> so, so you're anyways, right but yes there's 11 songs for most everyone man i'm surprised did you try looking it up is it on itunes still it must be right I would assume so. I didn't check iTunes. I don't think I've been on iTunes since 2009, but you let me know. Yes. Well, okay. So the three singles (laughs) they released, let's see here. As I'm rattling this off, I'll try to see if there's uh, Emily by 
Lady A and we'll see here what comes up. Let's do it. Yeah, I got to be honest. I uh, am not seeing... I am not seeing Emily. That's so weird. I don't know if they took it down or... Because it's not on Spotify either. I don't know if Apple exclusively owns the song or where it is, but it seems to be in the graveyard of songs. Just very sad. My name is very hard to rhyme with, so it's very exciting when one comes along. Yeah, it's not even... I, I pulled up the album, album on iTunes, and it just ends on song 11. So, so sad. Yeah. All right. So the three someone singles. Out there, someone out there bought this album in 2008 and has the song on their iPods. iPods. I'm sure of it. Hit us up. Do you own this song? If you're listening... We'll pay you five dollars for it. Yeah, that's two fifty each, right? It's not like we each show on five bucks, right? Uh, the song's about you, so I figure you would fork it over. <laughs> fine, fine, deal. <clears throat> deal. All right. Uh, the three singles. So they came out with the lead single "Love Don't Live Here" in October two thousand seven. It peaked at number three. Charles Kelly said, "Quote: I really felt like we found our song, our sound on this song." And I was really proud that it became our first single since it was one of the first songs that the three of us wrote together. That's cool. Second mm-hmm. single, Looking for a Good Time, June of 2008. Only Pete's at number 11. So still a great song, still a, a jam. The one difference <laughs> between the video and the album version of the song is in the video, they sing, quote, would you get the wrong impression if I asked you to dance right now instead of quote, would you get the wrong impression if I call this a cab right now? So they oh were my dear Lord. They were risque. Wow. Yeah. I think that would definitely be left in now, but that seems <laughs> kind of we knew 2008 was so conservative. Wow. Yeah. Very <laughs> uh, controlled. Uh, and then the third and last single they released was I Run To You in January 2009. Became their first number one hit, won 2009 CMA Single of the Year, and a Grammy for Best Country Performance by a Duo or Group. So, thoughts on the three singles? Did they get it right? Should they have released a fourth one? Go. Yes, definitely should have released more than three. I wholeheartedly agree, maybe four or five, but there's nothing wrong with the ones they chose. I don't think there's anyone that I would swap out. It's all hindsight now. Love Don't Live Here is such a good um, first song. And I Run To You is one of my favorite Lady A songs of all time. Um, Yeah, I wouldn't change the three probably, but I would definitely add a fourth, fifth, or sixth. So I guess that brings us to hidden gems and which which songs are your hidden gems and which ones if they came back to you and say hey we're gonna release one or two more singles to radio which ones it's your choice emily because we wrote because we wrote a song about you you get to decide the next two um so or next one okay there are a few different ones for a few different reasons I've always had a, uh, a soft spot for Home is Where the Heart Is. I always just love Same. that song. Um, I don't know. Maybe 
I was listening to this when I was 14, 15. Maybe I thought I needed to leave. I was yearning to <laughs> stretch my wings, get out. I don't know. <laughs> um, I also think because... The, the three singles that they released kind of showed their their range. You know, looking for a good time was more fun and and sassy. So I think they couldn't have released "Love's Looking Good on You" because that's kind of in the same vein. But that song is so great. "Love's Looking Good on You." I actually mm-hmm. thought it was a single until we, you know, decided to do this album. So those two, and then um, "All We'd Ever Need," I thought would be a really good one. And slow down, sister is just fun. I it wouldn't be slow down, sister. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good uh, murky, almost swampy kind of song. I feel, but again, I there's maybe one song that I wouldn't ever pick for a single, but the others I think are all pretty good. Which one wouldn't you choose? Can't take my eyes off you is kind of just like a buzzkill for me. Yeah, it's a it's a love ballad, but. Yeah, it's too ballady. Yeah, that's a good word. Good phrase. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what do you got? I have a few, but you mentioned love is looking good on you. I think the reason it's love is looking good on you and their first couple singles were love, don't live here, and looking for a good time. Uh, like, There's too many similar words in there, and I think that that tripped them up, but it's such a good song. That's the thing. Like, like, would you have changed that one out for looking for a good time? No, no, no. I think I would have. See, no, I, it, I, hmm. I think, I think they nailed the three singles. Okay. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the one that I would have been, if I would have been at the record label and like they're deciding between should we release another single or not without knowing what the very next <laughs> single would be, I'd be pounding the table so hard for all we'd ever need. Mm. So good. Like they're, so good. their vocals on it. And there's a, there's a video on YouTube, like a live show performance of them singing this. And Oh Really? Charles and Miss Scott were having a vibe. I'm just saying. Yeah, I love them. You know, they're super tight and they just, again, there's been, I think they even joked about it. Like he was interested in her at one point, but then it quickly was like, no, we're just going to be friends and whatever. And yeah, but they put on an amazing performance and, acted it out i just i love that song and i think yes they didn't really have a true ballad release as a single and that one would have been so that would have been my choice but then as we know what comes next with need you now is that literally the next single after i run to you um, it was the next album but it it was yeah so (laughs) they released they released I Run To You in January of 2009. And it goes to right. number one, right? Mm-hmm. Then they released Need You Now in August of 2009. And then shit just took off. And then 10 years later, it finally dropped off. <laughs> yeah. And it's probably back on now. Um, yeah. Home is where the heart is. 
just a good it sounds like a 90s country song it sounds like a sarah evans song yeah. it sounds like a martina mcbride song that type of vein very sweet uh, and wholesome yes uh an oddball i'm not necessarily would have been a single but just a hidden gem i liked things people say okay it's a sad it's a sad yeah. song about like a marriage ending and you know it's deep it's just a good i think as you're listening to it there's a lot of good jams and roll the windows down songs mm-hmm. but you get hit with something like that you're like okay there's a there's a different level here that they can get to yeah and again they're coming with it a couple of months later it's it's coming so crazy you know what's funny though as you were talking about um watching them saying all we'd ever need i literally wrote in ink better than tim and faith because i would rather listen to charles and hillary saying a love song to each other even though they're married to different people than to listen to tim and faith do it i think their voices were i don't they were made to sing together that's a very bold claim I I stand by it. Charles so, and Hillary over Tim and Faith. Charles is a better singer than Tim. Okay, Dad. So <laughs> do he you, is he totally is. That's not even. It's it's very true. I think everyone would back me on that one. Do you think kind of a uh, get distracted here? But do you think Charles and Hillary could have had successful solo careers? Hmm very hard to say um yes i do charles would have been tough because he would have been coming up as the bro country was starting and i wouldn't have seen him as that he probably would have gotten lost in the early 2010s and hillary it was basically just like the miranda and carrie show a little bit of taylor there for a little bit I don't know if she would have been able to crack her way through. Maybe. Depends on the songs, really. Yeah, but they, and I guess in their defense as a group, they went right after Rascal Flats. Not that they like don't like them or were targeting them. They have a picture of Rascal Flats. Yeah. Like, well, this is where we're going. <laughs> Your category dominance is over. No, but uh, yeah, I think and you're it right. Is. It was. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that's a, Good point. When Lady A, Lady Antebellum arrived, Rascal Flatts hung on for a little bit, but that was kind of signaling the end of... Right. There's a new cool kid in town. Yeah. We agree. Uh, Matchmaker. So a song that either wasn't released as a single or a single that you'd love someone to cover... Who do you got? I have a hard time with this one. I, I thought more along the lines of which singers could cover Charles' voice and which singers could cover Hillary. What you got? Because I, I had so, the same thing. But there's they're out there. Okay. They're out there. I really think um, Carly Pierce is a good one. I feel uh, maybe her voice isn't she doesn't have the range that Hillary does, but the the tone is there. And then I just thought of like Lauren Elena would probably just um, sing the crap out of anything. And then even 
I didn't think of any like well-known artists. I thought of Claire Dunn because she also has like a deep voice. Like that would sound really good. And when it comes to Charles, I, these are really random names, so I apologize. Uh, I'm, I'm curious because I have, I have three guys in mind for Charles Parts. Okay. Well, I thought of Luke Combs as an easy uh, low-hanging fruit. But then I thought of Jake Owen or Brett huh. Aldridge. Yep. Brett. Yeah, you got Brett? Because he's like Brett and Charles are both those guys. They're just kind of... They're not broke country, but... They have the, they, they they have the, the soulful. Voices. They have the soul and the rich yes. and the deep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I try to play matchmaker on a few just to... Um, things people say... I had either Morgan Wallen or Luke Combs. Again, it's like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's a bit of a sad song about a marriage breakup, but I feel like both those guys are able to go down that low and put themselves in a, you know, my girl left me, my dog died. My truck broke down, like <laughs> down a couple levels. Like they got that. Yeah. But one of my, I mean, what I said earlier, one of my favorite songs on here is All We'd Ever Need. And when it comes to that, that particular song, that ballad, really just go like, it's been on repeat, go watch the live performance. And I'm like, who would be really good? So my goal, I'll save for a couple seconds from now, but Brett Eldridge, he was on the list. It was either him or Brett Young. I feel like those guys kind of have kind of have that s- similar whatever. And they're all very tall and blondish. Yes. Yes. And probably that's in the back of my mind subconsciously. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I just call them the Bretts. Um, <laughs> and on this particular song, if you listen to Hillary's voice and you're like, who would do a really good job of it? I really do think it's Carrie Underwood. Mm, yeah. I know Fair. maybe their voices aren't a perfect match, but on this one, I'm like, that's perfect. However, my choice, I want Chris Stapleton and Karen Fairchild ooh, ooh. to collaborate on this. Interesting. Stapleton brings the the soul and the growly, you know, fire yeah. and passion. And then Karen's just severely, severely underrated. And she would kill Absolutely. it as a solo artist. Yeah. Um, so if it doesn't happen with this song, I want those two to collaborate at some at some point. Hmm. Sometimes even um what's Karen's husband's name who's in Little Big Town? Sometimes it'd be nice just to hear maybe those two sing without the others. You know, because then you get the husband and wife dynamic. Jimmy. Jimmy, yes. Yeah. So that's do you remember remember after one award show, I was thinking about how when we talk about best vocalists in the business, you know, I mean, Shay Mooney is at the top of the list and, and Stapleton's got a great voice and Luke Combs. And, you know, we forget about Charles Kelly a lot. I feel. But do you the, remember dr- the, driver? the driver, remember the driver when he yeah. kind of, they kind of went there, not separate ways, but they all decided to kind of take a break from the group to do different yes. solo pet projects. But anyways, who was the other one in that besides um, Eric um, Pasley? Eric Pasley was Jake Owen the other one? I thought it was Church. No, no, 
<laughs> that would be freaking awesome. Dirks. Dirks. Yes. Yep. Dirks anyways, and Aaron Pasley. What I was going to say is, do you remember after whatever award show it was, they all went to this bar and did karaoke. I yes. remember seeing on all their Instagrams, Shay and Charles were the hit of, of the show. And I just thought, not only can Charles sing, they seem like a, like, they seem like a fun group to hang out with. Agreed. Which is very important totally. to people I select to listen to. <laughs> Absolutely. You want to be like, hey, let's take a couple of tequila shots or whiskey shots. Yes. And go sing karaoke <laughs> and be like, hell yeah, let me call my buddies. Like, hey, Charles. Hey, yeah. Shay, get down here. Nonchalantly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. To the metal stand. Because it's 2021, do you know what that means, Emily? The Olympics. It's the Olympics. And I... I think we're going to have it. I Well, it's going to happen. Even if no one can be there watching, Right, they're going to have it. So, yeah, that's exciting. I don't like that it's in an odd year, but, you know, pandemics are going to pandemic, and that's going to happen. I think that just means the next Olympics is in three years then, right? I would think so. So that hey. would make, I hope so. But Hang in there. Anyways. Have faith. All right. For the medal Wait, stand. Wait, so that means, hold on. That means we have three Olympic games within four years then. Right. Because the winter ones are next year. Yes. Yep. And then 2024 is the next summer one. So that's kind of cool. We're just jamming yeah. a lot into less time. So I'm okay. saying 2021 and 2022, man, <laughs> things are looking up. Uh, Do your metal stand. <laughs> so metal stand. It's the portion of the episode where, we talk about the specific artists and all their albums and which three albums make the podiums for gold, silver, and bronze. So this was tough. It, it, mm-hmm. it really is because there's so many good songs on each album. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as good as they have become, Really, if you listen to this first album, not much has changed. Like they sound, right. they sound the same. They're just as good. Like really, I don't think there's a massive drop off from you know some of the recent stuff to right. The first stuff. Anyways, what I'm saying is the three albums I got are "Own the Night," "Need You Now," and this one, "Lady Antebellum." Same. Wow. In that Same. order? Uh, no. This would be my top one. Lady Antebellum would be my number one. Need You Now is number two. And then Own the Night is number three. Yeah. I, I will trust your word on this because honestly, like I said, <laughs> I stuck with this. And before we got on, the, on to, to talk about it, I'm like, you know what? I don't think I ever really settled on my order. <laughs> but these, these, yeah. are the three that, these are the three that stand out to me. Yeah, that's why it was so interesting when you were going through who produced each album. And I, because when I was looking through, I was like, uh, the, the latest projects are good. 747 was a weird album for me. I wasn't a big fan of it. I think that's when Busby came on. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But maybe it, it was more contemporary sounding. And something about these first three, the singles are great. The hidden gems are great. Honestly, you could probably rearrange them any way you want, but this first one just has a special place in my heart. Same. 
honestly, I think the the argument could be made that is like, I mean, you're baking it, that it's their best album. Yeah. And it is because there's just a richness to the songs, believability, even Yeah, their they identity. Were, you yeah. know who they are and they didn't and they didn't change. And that's gotta be tough, I'm sure, but I look at this category and maybe we should include some language by we, I mean me next time. If you were to, you know, have someone who has never heard of Lady Antebellum, if you were to give them, Hey, here's their CD, here's our album, go listen to it. I think you make a good point that this is the one you want to start out with. Yeah. Why not start from the beginning? Yeah. I, I, it's, it's hard. We do a lot of, um, first albums for a lot of artists. And I was sometimes thinking they that miss too. And sometimes yeah. they hit. And it, it's, I think it's interesting because you always want to see the evolution, how they've changed. And I just think if you look 13 years, it's not much has changed, which is they got the right formula. You know, they yeah. do take risk every now and then and not saying it's mundane. It's just, it's good music. They don't, they don't really miss or strike out on anything. Right. Like some, like you said, some artists, they kind of start out slow and they kind of build and there's like that arc that goes up. Others, you know, have that where it drops off. And I don't know. I just see, even up until now, I just see Lady Antelma is just steady, straight line. They're just killing it. Yeah. I mean, even after, after they released Need You Now, the single and the album, it's like, how do you, you can never really reach that level too many no. times. You know, that's a once in a career song, but it's not like they just quit. Own the Night is such a good album. The other singles they released off Need You Now are good. And they're still killing it today with number ones. And, and yeah, I wonder if they knew the magic they had. You know, I mean, sometimes there's a difference between cocky and confident. They had to have a feeling, right? This is just, this is right. Yeah. And I would assume they were, when they're performing live shows or playing small gigs that the feedback they were getting. Yeah. And, and they, they did find success right away. Like their debut single went to three, next one went to 11 and the next one went to one. You can't. The album went to number one. Right. Debuted. Good, Good point short of being Luke Combs that just only creates number ones, that's, you couldn't right. talk up better. Um, real quickly, I'll just run down the, the list of the uh, singles on the other albums, as long as we're mentioning yeah. them. So the, the second album, Need You Now, that song uh, was the first one off. Of course, went to number one. And they followed that up with American Honey, which went to one. Love that song. One of my favorites. So good. They follow that up with yet another number one in Our Kind of Love. And then number six song was Hello World, which is a severely yeah. underrated song. That music video is going to be on Video Vault very soon. Oh, okay. Ooh, yeah. Go check it out. Um, and then their third album, Own the Night, started with Just a Kiss, Smash, We mm-hmm. Own the Night. Dancing Away With My Heart, Wanted You More. Like, it's just... <sighs> yeah. So I, yeah. And... Uh, oh, I thought yeah. you were going through the rest of the albums. No, just those three. 
Just those three. Well, I, I can't. So those are the three we like the best. Their fourth one was Golden, which still has some good songs on it. You went Downtown, Goodbye yeah. Town, Compass. 747 came out. Bartender was a hit. But then they had Freestyle, Long Stretch of Love, Eh, kind of whatever. Actually, though, now that I'm looking at it, there is some hidden gems on that album. Um, Damn You 17 and She Is. Hmm. I actually know all the words, too. I just forgot about them. But still, the rest of the album is very odd. I, yeah, not my favorite. Yeah, then you get Circa 2017 with Heartbreak. I thought it was a good album, but they only released two singles off of that, which was You Look Good and Heartbreak. Yeah. And then their their most recent album, uh, Ocean, they had What If I Never Get Over You. And they sent they sent two other ones to radio, but it just kind of petered out in the top 40s. And then the other notable one is Champagne Night. Most recently went to number one, came out of the voice, uh, not the voice, came out of Songland. And uh, mm-hmm. side tangent, whatever song looks like they had, what I'm leaving for was peaked at 39 it was going up the charts but they pulled it and sent champagne night instead and yeah <laughs> they did well so probably a smart move yeah save for a couple of years in the middle there where it was like mm-hmm. what's what's going on but uh just even keeled <sighs> do you ever wish that uh dave hayward had more of a a role i know he's like no brains and stuff but no no I'd like to hear him sing a song or two. Maybe, but this, I think it's the same way of Dan and Shave, right? Where it's the one, the one person is so focused on, yeah, you know, all the, the, the very detailed production lyrics, what is everything sounding and looking like? And he's able to work with, you know, the other two or in Dan and Dan and Shay's case, work with Shay to kind of create, just that, that it factor. So yeah. I, maybe, I mean, I'm sure he's, I know he's a good singer. Right. Right. right? I mean, it's, it's not like he's singing like me. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, okay. maybe, maybe, maybe there, there should be a new band that comes out where it's kicks Brooks, Dave and Dan. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I like it. The, the um what could they be called the the unforgettables or the forgettables yeah the background uh, men <laughs> yeah they could Anyways. be like who's who's the forgotten guy in Bashery boys howie mm, howie probably yeah they just call themselves the howies i don't know <laughs> i love howie in the Bashery boys i don't know why i'm picking on them uh, we're, we're getting we're getting way off track here uh, like overall thoughts Um, it's, it's, I don't know. This is tough. Overall thoughts. It's a good, well, it's not a good album. It's a great album. And I just think they kind of struck lightning in a bottle. Is that the right phrase I'm looking for? It's truly not everything. It's hard enough for one person to make it as an artist, but then to mesh three individuals together and make it work it just doesn't happen and it it's kind of crazy how quickly they escalated from there this album 
led to everything else. Without this album, there's not a, a Need You Now. Do they write right. Need You Now? I'm let sure me, they did. Let me look at it. But I just think for all their songwriting and, and the work they put in, you know, we forget that they laid the foundations, right? They were doing small gigs and, you know, on the road and writing songs for other people. And you just see the, the instant success and it didn't just happen like that. Yeah. So the, the band did write, uh, need you now with, uh, songwriter, Josh Keir and, you might have heard of some of his songs, um, Karen or Woods Before He Cheats, um, Drinking Class, Lee Bryce. So, yeah. Josh Kerr? Kier. Kier. Oh, not K-E-R-R? No, K-E-A-R. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, but no, I think, so another podcast I listen to, it's a sports one, and uh, it's the Book of Basketball by Bill Simmons at The Ringer, but if they do, they do an episode usually talking about different players or drafts and for the players, like when it comes to their legacy, the question is, did they come in at the right time? Were they too early or were they too late? You know? So for instance, mm. someone like a Steph Curry probably came in at the right time. If he would have came in in the nineties, not so much. Right? right. And I think like what you were saying this album came out at the right time. It was that post nineties, early two thousands vibe. And before we get to bro country and like pop to pop country. Right. Um, it was just the sweet spot, but they were, it was fresh. It was new. It was different. And they were just likable. I don't know. I think that was yeah agreed. down to earth, down to earth people. They weren't too flashy. Uh, you know, all three of them are good looking, but they weren't, overly sex appeal or anything like that. They truly just let their music shine. Yeah. I think that's another thing too. It was like, there wasn't, they weren't gimmicky. This album isn't gimmicky. Right. They wrote most of the songs and just got in the studio and played the hell out of it. And you always talk about how you love, uh, the male and female voices together. Whenever yes. we play the matchmaker game, it's always, you know, <laughs> Oh, who, you know, who can, whatever it is. And here you have a whole band where that's all they do is, is sing together and it's the best harmonies ever. And yeah, you just get everything you ever bargained for with them. It seems. Agreed. Have you seen them live? Mm, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Mm -mm. I haven't either. And if this last year has taught me anything is <laughs> I got a long ass list of people to see. I'm going to be, Go to bro every I'm going to be broke. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be broke. Broke as hell. Yeah. That's all right. Maybe they'll well, send out more stimulus checks. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they'll send uh, concert stimulus checks. Something yes, like that. That would be awesome. Well, we'll, we'll write uh, the people in DC. Oh, all the people. All the people. Got it. All right. I'll get busy. All right. You do that. Well, this is a great choice. I know I mentioned earlier before we started, this was going to be one I wanted to do. So... Thank you for stealing and thanks for yeah, making no me problem. have to go go look at some other ones to do. Uh, this was fun. Come up with. <laughs> I'll do my best. Uh, if you're still listening, hope you enjoyed this. Uh, as always, this is the album collection. We are raised on it. Find us raised on blog.com. Stay tuned for future episodes. And if you're so kind, give us a five star, four star. 
Actually, no, just give us a five star. Leave a comment, leave a review, and uh, let us know if there's an album you think we should tackle. And uh, we'll take it up for consideration. So for Emily, this is Aaron. See you next time.